0: Joe Biden is not even yet the president elect, though he certainly thinks that he is. And already the facade of moderation and unity and coming together is going away. Biden thinks he's got this election wrapped up. And so in an interview, he laid out his first hundred day plan, which includes giving amnesty and a pathway to citizenship to 11 million illegal aliens. Tell me about day one of the White House and day one through 100, your first 100 days. What are, you, what are your priorities going to be on those first days?
1: Some of it's going to depend on the kind of cooperation I can or cannot get
0: from the United States Congress. But I am going to make a commitment in the first 100 days. I will send an immigration bill to the United States Senate with a
1: pathway to citizenship for over 11 million undocumented people in America
0: pathway to citizenship for 11 million illegal aliens, the vast majority of whom are expected to vote for Democrats. If the Democrats have the Senate, they've also promised to end the filibuster, pack the court, and add two new states, ending the Republican Party at the national level. And they're just getting started. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from misanthropic perspective, who says, the only smooth transitions I see are the segues between Michael and his sponsors. That is very kind of you. Thank you. We are talking about trans America, the transition team and uh, transing the kids, you know, turning the little boys and making them think that they're little girls. And that is very awful. I agree. Those, those are not smooth transitions, nor should they be. I, I do appreciate that, that you all have picked up on some of the uh, nice transitions that I've been trying to make to my sponsors. Because I think think it does contrast very well with those awful parents who, who are trying to trans the kids and those awful families. But if you have a great family, you should probably protect the photos you have of your family with Legacy Box. Legacy Box is a safe and affordable way to digitally preserve all your home movies and photos that are currently trapped on dated formats like VHS or film. With everything going on, here is a great way to ensure the focus remains on your family this holiday season. A lot of us have irreplaceable moments on tapes and film reels that we can no longer watch. Legacy Box can help you discover what's on all those tapes and films and then keep the footage organized and safe for years to come. I'll tell you this, this is just a warning. A a, a dearly beloved and departed family member, I had all the photos of this family member, uh, physical photos, I lost them. I lost them and it's heartbreaking and it's terrible. And this was before Legacy Box. I did manage to find a few more. I immediately send them to Legacy Box. Now, at the very least, I will have those forever. Do not wait. Head over there right now. Right now, they're offering 60% off so that you can have everything preserved at once for a fraction of the regular price. Once you have these digital versions, you can relax knowing that they'll be secure for generations. Legacy Box is something that you can order in minutes and enjoy forever. Do not wait. If you wait, you could, you could risk losing those memories forever. This is the best deal of the year. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Knowles, to take advantage of this limited time offer. Get 60% off. This exclusive offer won't last long. So order their kit now. Send it in whenever you're ready. It's a sale to remember. Tremendous, tremendous service. LegacyBox.com noles Save 60% while supplies last. That's Joe Biden telling you his first hundred days. He's talking to NBC's Lester Holt, If you are watching that clip, you'll see that they're sitting very, very far apart, ridiculously far apart, because they're performing the coronavirus liturgy, the lockdown liturgy of liberalism, where you wear the cloth mask, and that's going to protect you from the virus, despite studies that say that it won't. Where you wear the mask when you walk to your table in a restaurant, but then when you sit down at the table, you're in the magic orb of health and sanitation, so you can take the mask off. It's all just a silly religious ritual. Uh, for the false religion of liberalism. So sitting far away, I actually think there's some significance here. The significance of sitting very far away is the intimacy that we have had with the, the Donald Trump is uh, will not continue if Joe Biden is elected president. Whatever you think about Trump, we have seen that guy up close and personal. He tweets all the time. There are misspellings. He gets right in your face. He gets right in the reporter's face. He speaks off the cuff. Probably the most transparent president, uh, certainly of my lifetime, and probably in recent history as well. That closeness is not going to occur if Joe Biden is the president. You're going to see a distance from him. He's going to repeat the same platitudes that we've heard from empty suit politicians for a long time. He's going to contradict himself. It won't matter. He will not be the one calling the shots or running the show. He will be empowering the liberal state the same cast of characters that have been around forever. We talked about yesterday how he's named John Kerry his climate czar. A new position, I guess. John Kerry has been around since the 70s. He's just, he comes in and out. He's a senator, he's a secretary of state. Doesn't matter how much he fails, he just remains there. A lot of Obama alumni believe that if Joe Biden is named president, they will go back to the White House. That is what you're going to see if, if he makes it there. The, the argument for this, by the way, it's not, I'm not reading the tea leaves or something. The, the left is telling us this themselves. Andrea Mitchell on NBC News came out and said of Joe Biden's cabinet picks that the best thing about the cabinet picks is that they're not political.
1: They are now being told that it is not going to be political. And Joe Biden is saying, these are people, this is a team who's going to tell me, this team will tell me what I need to know, what, not what I want to know. That is a big change.
0: That's a big change. They're going to push back on me. First of all, Henry <laughs> Mitchell's contrasting this to the Trump White House, where there were vying factions from the very beginning, talk about pushback. In the Biden White House, what are they even pushing back on? Joe Biden doesn't believe anything. Of course, they'll just tell him they won't tell him what he wants to hear. They'll tell him what they want to hear, and he'll just acquiesce because he's an empty suit. But beyond that, I, I almost can't believe she said it with a straight face. Until I remember the left's ideology, but she actually said that the political appointees who are going to be running the executive agencies of our government are not political. What does that mean? (laughs) How how can you be a cabinet secretary and not political? Well, the the reason that Andrea Mitchell can say that is because for the left, they believe that their politics are not really, is, is not really politics. They believe that their politics is scientific. And the left has said this for 150 years, at least, that they have discovered the science of history and the science of politics, and they have their expertise. And so they're not having the push and pull typical political debates that we've had in republics going back to ancient Greece. No, they have discovered the science of politics. And so if you disagree with them, you've got to be profoundly stupid or evil or both. In any case, it's not legitimate to disagree stop making this so political. It's this We've mentioned this on the show before. In this world of leftist political science, everything becomes political except for politics, which is depoliticized and handed to experts. So I bet she really does believe this, that the cabinet won't be political. It'll just be scientific. It'll just be common sense. And you better not disagree with it. That's pretty scary because it's so tone deaf. You know, one, one thing that I've noticed in the culture, and you see this borne out by various studies that show that conservatives are much more willing to hear out liberals than liberals are willing to hear out conservatives. And the, the bombed out cities around this country from the BLM riots probably show you that. It's that we understand basically what the left's point is. Maybe we, we need to be filled in on the details, but we broadly understand what they believe. They have no idea what we believe. They have no idea that we reject the the fundamental premises of their worldview. And every time they do kind of gather that idea, they try to shut us up and ostracize us and call us Nazis and all all that sort of thing. We're going to get a whole lot more of that if Joe Biden becomes president. On MSNBC, the anchors couldn't contain their excitement. They described the cabinet as the Avengers.
1: To talk about Joe Biden's empathy and humanity, to talk about diplomacy being back, it is all an implicit rebuke of Donald Trump's foreign policy stewardship over the last four years. That's right. And then just saying that they're going to do their jobs and um, be good stewards of America's role in this world and um, focus on American diplomacy, that in and of itself um, being a rebuke of President Trump is uh, underscores what we've all been living through in the last four years, which is a president who wanted to be more isolationist, who wanted to pull back
0: Uh, Hold on, hold on a second. I just need to, before I get into the stupid points they're trying to make about Biden, I need to point out, Donald Trump has had the most successful foreign policy of any president since the end of the Cold War. It's not even close. He is an isolationist. He's pulling back. He's abandoning our allies. We have had greater peace under Donald Trump than under any president in my lifetime. He is pulling away. Uh, No, he's not. He's actually solving the Middle East peace crisis. (laughs) Clinton couldn't do it. Bush couldn't do it. Obama couldn't do it. But Trump somehow is getting major peace deals signed with Israel and all of these different Arab neighbors. Is it just a fluke? No, he took a different approach, an approach that was explicitly rejected by former Secretary of State, future climate czar John Kerry, who said it could never work. Trump tried it. It did work. Peace deals in Serbia. New trade deals with China, new trade deals with Mexico, new trade deals with Canada. Getting the NATO allies to start paying for NATO. This had been official US policy for years. No president figured out how to do it. Trump did. The idea that Trump is some isolationist who bungled foreign policy is insane. He did better at foreign policy and hopefully he continues to do better at foreign policy than any president in the last quarter century. But then they go on to make their point about the cabinet. And this is what is so preposterous. They believe that the cabinet, this lame, drawling, drooling, old, desiccated cabinet, are superheroes.
1: What we saw today, I I was was sitting in that room in Wilmington, um, I was thinking about the fact that Joe Biden, in some ways, first supporters, is fulfilling the promises that he made on the campaign. Charlie said he wanted to have a cabinet that looked like America. And there were people there on that stage, of course, talking about all of their different accolades and their experience, but they were also talking about their families who survived the Holocaust, who survived coming from Cuba and fleeing communists, who talked about um, having gumbo diplomacy, cooking food, cooking Southern food, as, as the United mm-hmm. Nations ambassador was saying. Um, all of those things are what America's yeah. about. It's this melting pot. The other thing I'll just say is I was talking to a Democrat who just said, this also felt like the Avengers. It felt like we're being rescued from this, <laughs> this craziness that we've all lived through from the last four years. And now here are the superheroes to come and save us all.
0: Here are the superheroes and what are their qualifications? What are their superpowers? Can they fly? No. Can they think? Not really. But they can look a certain way. Yes, they can have different colors of skin. And this is an amazing superpower, different sexual appendages. I know that, you know, all those things were true under Trump too. But, you know, it's super duper under Joe Biden. Uh, This is identity politics on steroids, right? This is what this woman's saying. We need a cabinet that looks like America. Well, what do you mean by looks like America? You mean, Do you mean in the sense that the cabinet thinks like Americans think? That the cabinet has the same love of country that Americans generally have? That they have the same interests, the same hobbies, the same cares and concerns? No. What she means is they've got to be diverse, meaning, you know, different colors and sex and everything. And when they say look like America, by the way, what they're really saying is actually look more diverse than America. You have to have one of every single type of person with certain physical traits. There's something beyond stupid here. Obviously, it's very stupid and shallow and pretty offensive, but there's something beyond that that's, that's even, it's even more depressing, which is that the focus on identity politics here, the color and sex of these cabinet picks, shows you that the individual members don't matter at all. It doesn't matter if any of these people are talented And from the picks that we've heard of so far, they're not talented. They're not particularly intelligent. They're not particularly accomplished. None of these guys, (laughs) most especially John Kerry, they're just there to fill a space to be an empty suit because they are the conduit for the liberal technocracy to rule. That's the, I mean, that's the, the really revealing aspect of the identity politics is no one is focusing on whether these people are competent to do their jobs. And they're, they're not actually. But it doesn't matter because they're not even doing the jobs. We have had in this country for decades now, a bureaucracy that operates largely without democratic oversight that just makes all our policy for us. The presidents may change, but the foreign policy is supposed to stay, stay the same. The administrations may come and go, but the giant bureaucracy that employs millions of people will keep Will keep operating. And Trump disrupted that in a limited way. He wasn't able to totally upend the deep state or the bureaucracy, but he made changes here and there, changed policy a little bit. And then the establishment fought back. They think that they vanquished him. We still don't know for sure. And now they want to govern again without any of that democratic oversight. And so all of these, these, uh, cabinet picks and Joe Biden himself, they will be little ornaments on the Christmas tree, little shiny things to look at. But the substance of the government will be that bureaucracy. And that makes me feel a little bit worried about our future. And when I'm feeling worried about the future, I am so pleased that I have ReadyWise. Now is a better time than ever to be prepared with long-term nutritional food options. ReadyWise has a ton of options, such as Emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. As conservatives, it's good to just be ready. Okay, I'm not saying you need to have the apocalypse happen tomorrow. You will just have peace of mind. You'll be a responsible person if you are ready in the event of some big issue, which seem to crop up all the time now. Order online. Have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When government resources are strained, it can be days, if not weeks, before fresh food is available. Do not put yourself in a situation where you need food during an emergency. Be prepared today. I love it. Makes me sleep easy. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at readywise.com. When entering Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, at checkout, or by calling 855-453-2945. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no questions asked return policy. There is no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That is ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Knowles, to get free shipping. These are the Avengers. People do not trust these experts. We have a new poll out that shows people do not trust the experts. Do you know what percentage of Americans are going to take the wonderful new vaccine for coronavirus that we were promised is going to be 90% effective. It's about to come out. Even after what, nine months of lockdown at this point, just 51% of Americans plan on taking that vaccine. I don't blame them. I don't blame the 49% who don't plan to take that vaccine right away. Why should they trust the vaccine? Why should they trust the experts? The same experts who told us you have to wear the mask, or I'm sorry, first they said you can't wear the mask, don't wear the mask, it's bad to wear the mask. Then they say you have to wear the mask, the mask protects you. Now we're getting studies that show the mask doesn't do very much at all. The ones who said it's going to be 2 million deaths, then they said it's going to be this, then they said it's going to be that. Every single step of the way, these idiot experts have gotten this thing wrong. And now 49% of Americans are going to be castigated as anti-vaxxers or anti-science or, you know, endangering public health. They're probably going to try to find a way to make the vaccine mandatory. If not from the government level, then from the commerce level, you won't be able to do commerce. You won't be able to get on an airplane perhaps. They're probably going to do that. And 49% of Americans, half the country is going to say, I don't know guys, I want to wait this one out a little bit. I want to make sure you get this one right. I get, I'm not, I'm not saying The vaccine is not going to be good. I'm not saying that the vaccine isn't going to be perfectly safe. What I'm saying is the experts who are behind this public health dictatorship have no credibility, which is why it is just a matter of description that half the country doesn't trust them and wants to hold off for a little bit and wants to wait. It is not the 49%'s fault that they don't want to take that vaccine. It is not half the country's fault. It is the fault of the public health egghead, lab coat wearing, tyrannical idiots who have zero credibility left. And it is the fault of the media who have lied. And it's the fault of the politicians through whose empty suits those experts speak. The media here have no credibility either. And they've pushed a lot of this. I was watching an interview between Stephen Colbert and Barack Obama that just shows you, if Joe Biden ascends to the presidency, what we are gonna be in for watching the news over the next four years, or however long Biden would be in office. President Obama, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. It is good to to be seen. I've been seeing you on television, but it's good to see you in person. That's nice. uh, That's gotta help the demo in some, how old are you? (laughs) Are, you are you are you, are, over are your, you? are you? are you I, eighteen not, and fifty-four? I'm not the demographic you're looking for. Sorry, it doesn't count. It's too late. I apologize. It uh, doesn't count. Michelle says, "Hey." Oh, good. Yeah, good. You know, she, good. You know, she loves you. Well, She's I've
1: i really enjoyed spending some time with her over the last four years. I know. And, yeah, and and she, she 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 adores you. She thinks the world of you. I think you're okay. Can we just just take a moment? Can I just? I and I want to talk. I yes. just I just want to take a moment to, to, to drink you in. For just a moment, because I'm having to get used to looking at a president again, you know, I've
0: gotten out of, I've gotten out of the
1: habit. I got to warm
0: up for Joe Biden. I don't want to pull anything when I see him take the oath of office, you got to ease me into this a little bit. I have never heard a more flirtatious conversation than this bizarre little intimate powwow between Stephen Colbert and Barack Obama. I feel like a voyeur watching this, this conversation. I feel like I'm peeking in on two high school teenagers, you know, about to play spin the bottle or something. This is so revolting <laughs> how much Colbert and the media fawn over Barack Obama. And I it it's giving me flashbacks to 2008 to 2016 when, when, Chris Matthews was getting a thrill up his leg seeing Barack Obama when the the question, <laughs> there's one question from a White House reporter. They were doing a really in-depth, hard interview. And they, they said, uh, Mr. President, Mr. President Obama, what has enchanted you about the White House? What, is, what has enchanted you about this job? Wow, hard-hitting stuff, guys. You can't trust the media, obviously. And now we're, we're seeing a report out from the Media Research Center that the, the media's suppression of negative stories about Joe Biden may have given him the election, if indeed he won the election. This new poll conducted by MRC shows that 17% of Joe Biden's voters said they would not have voted for him had they been aware of at least one of the stories about him, either the Tara Reid accusation about sexual misconduct or the, the bigger story, which is the corruption involving Hunter Biden and Ukraine and China, and Joe Biden getting a prosecutor fired, and the, the Biden family enriching themselves on Joe's half century of public service. That is a, a, a very worrisome thing because the media still have this absolute lock over the control of information. We thought that because of the social media and the new media, we had been able to crack that up. But then big tech, three companies in Silicon Valley decided to to come in and weigh in all of them uniformly on the side of Democrats and totally uh, control that information. I I don't want to be too pessimistic here. If Biden's elected, and especially if they take the Senate, you get amnesty for 11 million illegal aliens. Very depending on where what states they're in, very difficult for us to win another national presidential election. If they end the filibuster, they will pack the court. Difficult for us to get a good judicial ruling. If they add two new states to the country, or even one new state, basically impossible for us to win the presidency again, and impossible for us to investigate big tech, impossible for us to break up the establishment media cartel. The grip of the establishment at that point will, at least in the the, near future be basically insurmountable. There is a lot at stake here. I know there are some Republicans who just want to roll over, who just want to say, okay, well, whatever, let's concede this one. Don't concede. Don't concede. You have to exhaust every single option available to you. There is, there is, uh, the security of the party is on the line. And you know, by the way, your home security is on the line. It is doorbell season, the busiest time of the year at your front door. And that is certainly true at my own house. Uh, Right now, There's so much going on. You get a ton of packages. You get a ton of delivery guys. You get a ton of relatives visiting you. Maybe you want to see them. Maybe, probably, you don't. Ring has everything you need to keep an eye on your home this holiday season and throughout the year. See and speak to whoever's at your door from anywhere with video doorbells. Keep an eye on every corner of your house with easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cameras. Help protect your whole home with Ring Alarm, a powerful, affordable whole home security system that you can easily install yourself. I've been giving ring to my friends as housewarming gifts for years. Now I'm the guy who's got a house because I moved out of crazy la-la land where nobody can afford even a little tiny hovel, you know, in a little shanty town. Now I'm in a good Tennessee breathing the sweet air of freedom, so I'll be able to have a house. Uh, And I'm so excited to get my ring set up. For a limited time, go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to receive special Black Friday and Cyber Monday offers. That is ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. So the Democrats could have a lock uh, on the government, more so than they already do. And despite the virus and the lockdown and all the economic problems that they largely caused, there's this there's a simple answer, according to the Democrats, which is, how are you going to deal with the, the pandemic? How are you going to reopen the economy? AOC has the answer. Pay people to stay at home. She uh, tweeted out, to get the virus under control, we need to pay people to stay home. Now, there's a, there's a first order problem with this, and then there's a deeper problem with this. The first order one is the kind of typical conservative rejoinder to these ideas, which is, oh yeah, being paid to stay home sounds great, but who's going to pay for it? You know, we'll often say, yeah, free healthcare sounds great, but who's going to pay for it? You know, sure, that's a problem. Actually, I I don't know that, I I understand why that's a clever answer and that we do have to deal with the accounting problem here, but we should go a step further and realize it's actually a bad thing to be paid to stay home. We don't want that. It doesn't sound good. It's actually a bad thing to get lots of stuff for free and to have the government control your health care and to have the government control these decisions of life and death for you. It's bad. It's not even good in theory, even if we didn't have to pay for it. Because it misunderstands human nature, the human role in the world, and the dignity of work. Work confers dignity. Diligence is a virtue. That is according to the old standard, which we all believed until like five seconds ago. Now, according to the new standard of wokeism or call it political correctness or call it just leftism generally, work does not confer any dignity. Work is just a burden. It's dishonorable. It's shameful. It's oppressive. It's unfair. We shouldn't have to do it. It's based on historical, even if you're not oppressed, you're historically, your ancestors were oppressed. So you, it's, it's a shame for you to have to work. And diligence is not a virtue. Sloth is then becomes a virtue. Diligence is just, oh, you're, a, you're a, either a fool for, for running, your, running the wheels on this unjust, illegitimate system, or you're just, uh, just wasting your time. That could be so much better spent writing poetry or being a photographer. Nancy Pelosi said this when they passed Obamacare. She said, this is an entrepreneurial bill, because no longer will people be stuck in jobs no, they won't be stuck in jobs to get health care. Now they can go and be a photographer or an artist. Got news for you. Most people are not good artists. <laughs> we don't need, we don't have a, a dearth of artists in this country, okay? And art has never been particularly uh, profitable for people. For most of human history, it's a, something you do out of love and you have the idea of the starving artist. You have to work for these things. That is a good and the, the right, I think, still understands this. The left does not. The Problem is spend, spend, spend is the, re- the Republican answer to all these things, too. You know, it's, it's why the debt keeps growing. It's actually why the, the left-wing establishment has, has tolerated certain Republican administrations. It's because it doesn't threaten their government expansion. Re- you know, Republicans might cut taxes, but they'll just borrow more money. So the spend, spend, spend continues to go on. Now, amid all of this sadness and chaos and degradation of our White House and our country, we did continue at least one tradition yesterday. Uh, This was a wonderful tradition. Uh, President Trump, one of the most peace-loving presidents in the last 100 years, decided to have mercy again, and he pardoned one of the Thanksgiving turkeys. Take a listen.
1: And now it's time for the moment of our guest of honor, They've been waiting, and in this case, he's been waiting for this. And uh, bring him out. Look at that beautiful, beautiful bird. Oh, so lucky! That is a lucky bird. Corn, I hereby grant you a full pardon. Thank Good. you, Corn. Beautiful. Happy, Thanksgiving. Happy, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank you very much.
0: Joe Biden is talking about unity and coming together and how we have to get back to normal. Of course, he doesn't really mean any of that. His partisans are talking about enemy lists and AOC is talking about it. Jake Tapper is talking about it, the Trump Accountability Project. He's installing these radical people who are going to do radical things and the government take away our constitutional rights to self-governance. So he doesn't mean any of that. Do you know what does bring us together though? The turkey pardon. This is a great tradition. We need more of these in America. The turkey pardon is so ridiculous, it's bizarre. It's been going on for, what, 60, 70 years now. There's no point to it. It's pretty weird. Good. We need more of those things. The, the right understands the importance of tradition, of ritual, of things we all do together. And maybe we can't rationally explain why we do them. And maybe they don't seem to serve a utilitarian purpose. But they're good. They have, they give us some culture. They, they bring us together in, in a national purpose, even if it's pardoning a turkey. <laughs> And sending him to a farm in upstate New York. The left does not get that. And some people on the right, like uh, in particular libertarians are a little guilty of this, don't get this either. They want everything in their government to be rational. They want it all to, to have, make perfect utilitarian sense and make perfect economic sense. There's nothing economically beneficial about pardoning a turkey. But it is cultural. It, uh, it is something that we can't quite... Uh, calculate the effect of. But it is a a nice moment when we can all just sort of laugh and let loose a little bit and feel a little more relaxed and calm with one another. That's an important thing. It's why we extol the virtues of traditions and why we hate that kind of crazy rationalist left-wing calculation. There's one meme I have to get to before we get to the mailbag. This meme came up earlier this week. It went viral on the internet. It's from Women on Top. And it had two pictures. It says, my mom at age 31 and me at age 31. And my mom at age 31, she's standing there. She looks like she's in the 80s or something. And she's got these two kids and she's smiling and she's hugging her kids. Then me at age 31, it's a gal wearing tights with a roller bag and a uh, probably expensive purse here, a Chanel purse, and then a glass of champagne. Okay. And so you read that and you say, oh gosh, okay, is this saying that this poor woman is just not living as fulfilling a life as her mother did. That's kind of sad. But then there was uh, another image that went with it. This is a picture of a woman and a guy and a kid. Obviously, they're married. They have this kid. It says, an established and complete woman with her family. And then there's a picture of a woman wearing a sort of low cut top, eating pizza, sitting on a table with also with a glass of champagne. This woman really likes champagne. I don't know. I don't know why. All times of day, walking through the airport, this lady needs to booze up. Who knows why? And it says also an established and complete woman. Now I realize the point of this. They're saying, look, any of your choices are not only fine and acceptable, but they are equally conducive to human flourishing. There's nothing intrinsically good about having kids or settling down or getting married or having a family. That is exactly as good and purposeful and productive as sitting and drinking champagne and cold pizza or or drinking champagne with expensive luggage walking through an airport. Not everybody gets to to get married. Not everybody, it is a privilege. It's a nice thing. Some people are called to other other things. Some people are called to celibacy. Some people are called to religious life. Some people are called to be married. Not everyone gets to have a kid. Some people suffer from infertility. Some people, maybe you can adopt a kid, but not everyone gets that. Kids are a blessing, right? However, it is good to be married. It is better to be married and settle down than it is to just pursue your own appetites and drink champagne all day long all the way through your whole life. It is good to have kids. Some people don't get to have kids. We all suffer. But it is good. It is better to have kids than to choose not to have kids because you want to pursue your own appetites and just do whatever you want all the time. Someone tweeted this out the other day. They said, why did people want to get married and have kids when you could do drugs in foreign countries? (laughs) I assume a comedian, but I think there was a lot of earnestness in what she was saying for, for a lot of millennials. We need to have a standard. And I think conservatives need to stop this kind of nonsense. There are a lot of conservatives who would say that, yeah, just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You do you. I, who am I to judge? I can't. No, that we're, that's a dereliction of duty and a dereliction of leadership, and it's making people miserable. And the reason, by the way, that these, these images work is because it, it says me at age 31. And th- when you're in your 30s, you're still like having fun and you're young and you can do whatever you want. But th- these things have effects later on in life. And if you're still boozing and just dr- waking up with bottles of champagne at age 61, maybe something's gone a little wrong. Your partying days should be over at that point. <laughs> you should settle yourself a little bit more and train your habits. And it's it's not, not quite as glamorous at that point. Uh, and this is lying to women in particular, and women have become more miserable, both in relative to men and in absolute terms, as measured by any social scientific survey since the 1970s. Take social science with a grain of salt, but, but all of them show it. And why is that? It's because of these sorts of lies of feminism. And conservatives, I think, have abandoned them too. And conservatives because we just think it's easier to throw up our hands and say, well, who am I to judge? I don't, you know, whatever. That's fine. You do you. No, it's not true. Uh, That kind of attitude toward life will make you miserable. Never too late to throw that attitude out, but you absolutely should. Let's get to the mailbag because Thanksgiving is almost here. That means Black Friday is almost here too. Since last year's Black Friday deal, we have been consistently adding more features and products to our membership program. We're really excited about it. To name a few things, we have added more exclusive Reader's Pass content. Our Insider and above members can now stream our content on Apple TV and Roku, which is very exciting because of all the new content we're adding, such as... A fifth day to the Michael Knowles show starting Friday, December 4th. We're going to be five days a week and we're going to radio too. You also get not one but two Leftist Tears tumblers, early access to our Daily Wire merch, and daily discussions with our writers and special guests. We're also continuing to add new features and products like the entire PragerU library, which is currently being added to the website, which is very good because I have a show at PragerU called The Book Club. We're adding content from Candace Owens, who will be launching a new show with us early next year. Needless to say, we're pretty excited about this year's deal and you will not want to miss it. Head on over to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with the mailbag. All right, first question from Wolfgang. Dear austere author of mostly written books, I joined All Access in May and want to extend my thanks to each of you for your daily bits of faithful wisdom. Thank you very much. I've been told that Thursday is about commemorating racism and destruction, but I will be celebrating in the usual way by giving thanks for the people and circumstances God has set around me. And the folks at Daily Wire will be on that list of gratitude. How will you be celebrating happy Thanksgiving to you and yours? Oh, that's so kind. You know, this year, uh, we're we're not going to, unfortunately, not going to be able to travel to see our family for Thanksgiving. Um, part of that is the COVID restrictions and we just moved to Nashville. So I, I actually will be celebrating with the Daily Wire as well. <laughs> we're going to go over and hang with uh, some of the guys at Daily Wire and have a nice Thanksgiving. It'll be uh, lovely. And I'm glad you brought this up because this, this is a point that actually ties right in with the, the point about tradition that we were just discussing. This is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower. Uh, 1620 is when the Mayflower lands the Plymouth, uh, the, the Pilgrims rather get off at Plymouth Rock through a very complex and very interesting history, and providential history, they encounter these Indians who become the Wampanoag Nation. The the providence of it is unbelievable. These pilgrims land 300 miles off course at the wrong time. They land on the beach, and they hear an Indian come out and speak to them in English. Greetings, Englishmen. That was Samoset, an Indian who spoke broken English, Uh, And then after that came Squanto, perhaps the only Indian in the new world in the entire hemisphere who was fluent in English because he had been kidnapped earlier, brought back to Europe, lived in, in Spain, was rescued probably by monks, sent to London, lived in London, talked to the pilgrims about England, which they all knew about, and then hopped a ship, somehow got back. He lands in the new world. He finds out that his tribe is dead because they had been wiped out by disease makes it all the way down, is taken as a prisoner of Massasoit, who is the chief of what became the Wampanoag Nation. And then the just, just so happens to be there right where and when the pilgrims land. You, you couldn't, if, if you don't believe in providence after hearing that history, I don't, I don't know what would make you so. And then the, the pilgrims, you know, form a, a really important alliance with Massasoit. Massasoit allies with the pilgrims. He grows his power. They take out worse Indians who were trying to attack the Englishmen. Then peace persists for a couple of decades. And then unfortunately, one of Massasoit's sons who took an English name, Philip, decided uh, based on faulty intelligence that the pilgrims had turned on him. Historical record shows probably was not the case. And this led to a bloody war. Some of the Indians still sided with the pilgrims, but then peace ends in the region. Just this is an incredibly complex history. And the, the shallow and ridiculous idea that that the pilgrims came and the Englishmen just slaughtered all those helpless, poor, innocent, naive Indians is so offensive to the Indians because it doesn't treat them like human beings. treats them like innocent little children, you know, who don't know any better. No, these were real men. They knew what they were doing. These were diplomats. These were statesmen. These were fighters. These were warriors. And we had alliances and we had battles and those sorts of things. Uh, All of that to say, the 1619 Project is a year, year earlier, right? And it doesn't want to frame our country in 1620 when the pilgrims land. It wants to frame our country in 1619 in Virginia when a slave ship landed. The New York Times is clear about this. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the anti-historical journalist who, who put out the project, said, this is not even so much about rewriting history as it is, of, although she did rewrite history and then had to correct it, even though she got the Pulitzer Prize. But it, it's not so much about rewriting history. It's about reframing American history, What that means is, you know, we we can draw our national identity and mythos from anything. You could draw it from World War II, and we do in some part. You could draw it from the Civil War. You could draw it from the Revolutionary War. You could draw it from the Era of Good Feelings. You could draw it from the French and Indian War, which actually maybe we should. You could draw it from Jamestown. You could draw it from Plymouth. You could draw it from that ship in Virginia. The way you frame it is not about facts. It's about feelings actually. It's about how you feel toward your country. Do you love your country? Do you hate your country? If you love your country, then you'll take these people seriously and be grateful for the country they gave you and give thanks. If you hate your country, then you will, you will attack it. You'll attack all of these men. You'll say it's hopelessly bigoted and you'll only talk about all the terrible things that ever happened, which will, by the way, always happen everywhere in the world because this is a fallen, broken world. It is a choice, uh, as to whether or not you want to love your country or not. It is your duty. It is your duty to love your country. It, it, patriotism is an extension of your of filial piety, of your love of your parents. And it's deeply immoral and disrespectful for you to hate your own country. That's what the left is doing right now. You should not do that. You should break bread and give thanks for not just all the blessings we have right now, but all the guys in 1620 who gave it to us. From Andrew hello, Michael, you said that the way Rudy Giuliani laughed at the CNN journalist was actually a good thing. Wouldn't you think that this is a bad road to go down for conservatives to be okay with laughing at people because of who they work for when they literally did nothing wrong? It reminded me of Richard Dawkins saying to go out and mock religious people just because they believe in God. How is the right being okay with this? Just just from being from CNN, not as bad as uh, what Richard Dawkins said, just from believing in God? Thanks. Love your show and all that you do. Yeah, there's a difference here. Namely, it is good to believe in God. It is bad to work for CNN. <laughs> that, that's it. First of all, I'm not convinced this reporter did nothing wrong. I mean, this reporter was a- asking dishonest questions, and CNN is, is a fake news uh, outlet. N- not meaning that they never get anything right, but just meaning that they're not the news. They're an activist organization for the Democrats, and they pretend to be a news organization. But I'd, I'd actually like to push beyond that. What we have been stuck in on the right is this kind of limp proceduralism for a long time, where we only talk about the form of politics. We don't talk about the substance of politics. So a, a good example of this would be that weird drag queen liturgy that we saw the other day where they tried to trans the kids. The 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 conservative, quote unquote, who only cares about the form of things, will say, oh, there's we should not prosecute the adults who are transing the kids and encouraging the kid little boys to call themselves little girls. We shouldn't prosecute them because, look, that's their belief. They believe that you should trans the kids, and I believe that you shouldn't trans the kids, and who's to say which one's right? So they can do them, and we can do us, and you, you can't legislate morality, even though you necessarily always legislate morality because that's what laws are, they all refer to the moral order. You say, you can't do that. So we can't make a distinction between the two things. So let's just let them both exist. No, (laughs) no, the left doesn't do this. And conservatives didn't do this until like 15 years ago. It is, it is good to believe in God and and God exists. So people should not be mocked for believing in God because that's the correct opinion. If anything, people should be mocked for not believing in God, or at the very least, they should be persuaded that they're wrong. People should be mocked for working for CNN or for taking CNN seriously because it is a hack, dishonest, fraudulent news channel. We can know these things because we can ascertain truth, maybe not perfectly all of the time, but we do have faculties of reason, which are not infinite, but they're pretty good. And we can do that. We, we're stuck in such a radical subjectivism right now that we know, we lack the confidence to make any truth claims about the world. It's why, or just you can see it in our language, people once Stated facts, they say, this is a leftist ears tumbler. Then they would say, I think this is a leftist years tumbler. Then they would say, I feel like this is a leftist years tumbler. And then they added like, like, like to everything they're saying. What does that mean? Well, you go from a statement of fact, which can be refuted and which implies that you're going to you're going to force your views on somebody. Then you say, I think, a little more distance. Then you say I believe, a little more distance, then you say I feel. Well, you can't argue with a feeling, right? A feeling is just a sort of sense or a taste or a preference. And then, when you add like, it creates a simile out of every, every sentence you say. It creates a distance. So you're never saying a statement of fact. This is a tumbler. You're saying this is like a Tumblr. Well, okay, I guess it could be like a Tumblr in some way. But what I want to say is the thing itself. Have confidence. Use your brain. Don't be afraid to state the truth. These are long answers today, but they're very good questions. From Justin. Michael, how could Trump possibly have underperformed with white males? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Help. Yeah, I don't really believe it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. These machine cities we know probably gave us uh, quite a lot of fraud. And the evidence I'm using to back this up is they stopped counting. They stopped the count on election night. And then they started up, at, and then they said they weren't going to start up until the next day, but actually in certain places like in Georgia, they, they illegally started up in the middle of the night without any poll watchers. They turned poll watchers away. So I don't really necessarily believe that Trump lost among uh, white guys. I suppose it's possible. And part of the reason for that is that Trump doesn't do well among people who have been brainwashed in college and white guys do go to college at a pretty high rate. So it, that, it's possible, I guess, but you know, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to let the legal process play out to see what what happened during this uh, show entire election. Last question, Michael. Hello, Michael. On today's episode, you touched briefly on the list of Catholic leaders who have defended the death penalty, though you did not delve into their arguments. As a Catholic, I'm very interested to hear you go through a few of the most compelling theological and philosophical arguments in favor of capital punishment from a Catholic perspective. You know, there's a really good book on this. I think, who wrote it? Was it Ed Fazer who wrote that book? I think it was. I think Ed Fazer wrote that book. I forget the, the name of it escapes me now by his blood shall be shed, or something to that effect. But uh, there's a good essay by my friend and priest, Father George Rutler, called "Hanging Concentrates the Mind." I really like this because we always talk about the uh, the three types of justice. Right? There is rehabilitative. There's a rehabilitative purpose of criminal justice, right? To make the criminal better. Then there is the deterrent effect, which is to stop people from committing the same crime. And then there is the retributive effect which is you just, you justice demands that we punish people for committing crimes, even if it doesn't rehabilitate them. And even if it doesn't deter the crime, just justice demands that, that you have to be punished. So with capital punishment, people think it's purely retributive, but it actually does have a deterrent effect. Part of the reason it it does not appear to right now is because someone gets capital punishment. They don't actually get zapped for 30 years. So there's such a long lag and a lot of people just die on death row. But what my, my friend, Father Rutler, points out is there is a rehabilitative effect, too, and it comes from a line from Dr. Johnson, which is, depend upon it, sir, when a man knows he's to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. The idea that when you are confronted with death, you will get your priorities in order. There's this idea that you can let someone languish on death row for 30 years, and maybe they'll have a conversion and, and you know come to Christ and, and get their life in order. But you can also have that experience on the scaffold. And I think actually maybe you're more likely to when, you, when you're faced with the reality of your mortality and of your immorality. So that's one argument. That from a, just a scriptural argument is St. Paul explicitly defends capital punishment, as does Thomas Aquinas, right? St. Paul says that uh, the state does not wield the sword in vain uh, and that the, the, the civil authority is acting as a mediator of justice when it doles out capital punishment. Uh, Thomas Aquinas talks about this. Thomas Aquinas, I believe, defends capital punishment for heretics too. By the way, so pretty uh, to use the the popular word, pretty based. You know, pretty pretty hardcore, pretty pretty conservative. Um, And just the argument for that is that the state has a role in justice. You know, and that's that's just a fact. And it's not just a little bit of justice. And state just it's not that the state can mediate justice but only up to five years in prison. No, the state has a role in justice, including all of the potential consequences of someone committing a crime. This has been the case for uh, all of the history of the Catholic Church. And now some people want to pretend that is not the case, but unfortunately for them, it is. Okay, that's our show. Let's give thanks. Let's concentrate our mind, hopefully not on the scaffold, hopefully in front of Thanksgiving turkey. I'm very thankful for all of you. Thank you for tuning in as always. I will see you next week. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire, 2020.